Hi, and welcome to Snacking with the Saints, the podcast where we eat snacks and talk about saints. I'm Andrea. And I'm Lena. Thanks for being here. Hey, y'all. We are back for another quick bite. We want to continue to use these interviews as a way of spotlighting people who are doing amazing things for Jesus and also to hear about how the communion of saints is showing up in other people's lives. So to that end, we are joined this week by my friend Deacon Keith Strom. Deacon Keith is the former director of the Office for the New Evangelization and a deacon for the Archdiocese of Chicago and an international and conference keynote speaker and author. We had so much fun chatting and catching up, but he also had such a beautiful testimony to share about the power of the saints' prayers. We did have some technical difficulties with the sound and audio, unfortunately. We've tried our best to clean it up for y'all, and I really recommend pushing through it and sticking with this conversation in spite of that. The perfectionist in me really wanted to just throw in the towel and just say, you know, this episode just wasn't going to make it to air, but... In the end, I felt like what Deacon Keith had to share was important enough to just post it in perfectly. I love talking with Deacon Keith, and I know you all will be so blessed by his testimony. I hope you enjoy our conversation as much as I did. Here's Deacon Keith. So let's start with, tell us like what you're doing right now. And like, yeah, what are you doing right now in your ministry? Who are you? What are you doing? (laughs) Sure. My name is Deacon Keith Strom. Um, I'm an ordained deacon for the Archdiocese of Chicago, but uh, even before I was ordained, I was working in the area of parish renewal. So I work with parishes. I work with dioceses on how to transform their cultures, their structures, um, their people to foster um, a real focus on missionary discipleship. So to experience not only interior renewal um, within the person and within the parish, but then to send the parish on mission. So that's really what my focus is. Although I do parish missions and, you know, I, I do uh, retreats. I was a youth minister for a long time. So, uh, so I have all of that frontline evangelization and I actually work with parishes. And yeah. Um, and then this is the part I always throw out there because people think it's so cool, but you also help with deliverance ministry too, right? <laughs> Yes, I don't always advertise it, but I don't keep it a secret either. Um, I'm assigned- okay, I was going to say, should I stop telling people that? No, 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 no. That's totally fine. I, I uh, really began in uh, healing ministry. And so that's really where it, that all began. Although as I began to, to work with people and walk with people in a journey of healing and praying with them for healing, a lot of interior healing was needed. And I began to discover more and more that people are struggling, not only just with their human brokenness, but also the enemy pushes in in places. And so, um, so I pray with people uh, for healing and deliverance. And I've been doing that for about oh, really almost 20 years at this point. Um, and when I was ordained a deacon, I was ordained half time to a parish and then half time to the office of the office. So um, I'm assigned there as well. So I assist him. Uh, uh, in his work. Uh, and there are a few other deacons that do that. And we have a wonderful team of lay people. So yeah, in my copious free time, that's what I do. Yeah. I should probably, I'll stop telling people about that, but I feel like that's no, like the most, I feel like that's like such an interesting thing. It, it absolutely is. And I think people are fascinated by it. In fact, Father Carlos Martins, I don't know if you know him. Um, he does a lot of work um, with relics. In fact, he's got like a, he takes a bunch of relics um, with him on the road and he, and he shows them at parishes and he has stories and he does a presentation on the saints. It's really quite beautiful. He's also um, 
he's also uh, an appointed exorcist. And so he has a new podcast called The Exorcist Files, where he goes oh. over some of the, yeah, he goes over some potential like fictional cases, but then basically spends most of the time on catechesis around the ministry of deliverance and exorcism. And it's quite fascinating. And people are fascinated by it. And his target is not Catholics, but young people um, who are drawn in by that topic. And so uh, it's been wildly successful so far. He's only got five episodes up. So um, I don't mind that you talk about it and, and that you share that. Um, I think uh, in a lot of ways, now the community of people working in this ministry is a little divided on this, but uh, I believe that we do a disservice when we don't talk about this ministry at all. And then, uh, and then yeah. we have a generation of Catholics who either don't believe the devil exists or are so afraid of the devil that they, don't, they won't even try to defend themselves uh, in the normal course of their spiritual life, right? Because they, they're just mm. afraid. And I think we do a disservice there. I think people want it to be a little more hush-hush so that we don't have undue fascination Right? Yeah, I think with, that's the thing. With the devil, right? But, yeah. which I get that. But I think we, I, so whenever I, wherever I travel, I try to bring that ministry at least more out in the light, for sure. Yeah, so I think the reason I, yeah, no, I think um, like in my youth minister background, that's what the kids always want to know about. They always like, they always want to know if a priest has ever heard a murder confession and then if they've ever seen a demon manifestation, that's like what the kids always want to know. So I feel like the youth minister me is like, hey, look, I know someone who could talk to you about that. Um, but that's okay, always what gets people talking. But yeah. I, I mean, here's the, the, the basic thing that I tell people right from the start is that, um, you know, Christ has won the war. So before I ever talk about the devil, because I don't want people to, to, I don't really want people to focus on the devil. I want them to focus on the, the power of Jesus, right? Yeah. So Jesus has already won the war. So the devil's in retreat. The devil's been drying up for 2,000 years and, and, and he's continuing to dry up. He just wants to take as many people as he can with us, with, with him. So just, I always say, let's focus on Jesus. Know that he's already won the victory. Everything I'm about to tell you about the enemy, right, is in the context of the fact that Jesus has already won the war, right? The first letter of John, right. the son of man uh, was revealed for this to destroy the works of the devil. So those works are already like in shambles. And so he's just trying to, the, the devil's trying to make the best of it, so to speak. Uh, but we don't have anything to fear uh, if we're prudent right. and if we stay close to Jesus, right? Right. That's what um, I think like we, at least for me, like I hate anything scary. Like I don't do scary movies, especially not exorcism stuff. And I like tend to be like, r I get really freaked out by stuff or I used to. Um, like in popular culture, but I, I think like in college, like we had a class on the sacraments and just learned like people who have even just like received their sacraments, just like we forget how powerful those are and just the protection that even comes from like our baptism as babies. Um, so I think like that's something also that, um, we don't talk about enough. Like people are always so fascinated by like the idea of exorcisms, but like the baptism that we all undergo is an exorcism and it's like not super exciting or scary but it is like powerful so i always like to point that out too that we yeah have, i think that's incredible uh, it's an incredible point i yeah. know that and i think uh, like the eucharist which, too i heard something just like reception of the eucharist is like more powerful than anything maybe you said that just like confession and receiving the eucharist is more powerful yeah, than like there was the big one, scary like thing 
Yeah, I'm trying to think. There's one saint who said um, that, and Alpi Padre Pio, um, uh, but who said that one confession is more powerful than a thousand exorcisms. So, I mean, staying close to Jesus and and being united with His heart. Once we do that, everything else will kind of take care of itself for most people, right? And I think that that's that's really something we have to remember because people do get freaked out by the extraordinary you know, work of the enemy. And, and it's almost as if yeah. they feel like, you know, on a scale of one to 10, God is a 10 in terms of power and the devil's like a 9.75. And so if, if the, um, if God is having a bad day, then the devil might, you know, get the upper hand in some way, but that's not true at all. So, yeah. uh, you know, the devil's creature, right? The devil, the devil depends upon God for his very existence. That's got to irk the devil to yeah. no end because he, he hates the Lord. He's rebelled against the Lord. And yet he depends on God for his very existence. He's just a creature. So mm-hmm. we just focus on Jesus, stay close to the sacraments, have a prayer life. 99% of people will never have to worry about anything. And then the 1% that does the power of Christ is really, really, um, is really, really undeniable and unbelievable. So yeah. Amen. A little bit of deliverance hey, in a nutshell. Out of the way. Uh, yeah. No, that's okay. I, honestly, we I don't mind talking about it. And, and people should know about that ministry more for sure. Yeah. I think I, I was just talking to a friend who's um, involved with the encounter ministries. Are you, mm-hmm. do you know that they do the retreat in the school? Yeah, I love encounter ministries. Yeah. Yeah. I was telling him that my, like being Hispanic, there is like a temptation to like everything's the devil. So I tend to be like, Look, we're not being attacked by a demon right now, guys. There is not a demon attacking us. But then he was kind of pointing out like, okay, but there is like a spiritual battle for your soul. And he was like, we kind of talked about just like kind of in like a spiritual direction, almost way like that I need to be more aware of spiritual attack because I'm always like, um, I guess, like I said, so used to being in that environment where like everything is from the devil that I kind of tend to be like, it's less than what you think. But then my friend was like, but also there's that reality. So don't just yeah. completely discount it either. You, I think the balance has to be held, right? That, that you know, I think it's C.S. Lewis who said the greatest trick that the devil has, uh, has pulled on people, especially in the modern world, is making them believe that he doesn't exist, right? So we have yeah. to recognize the enemy's real. His presence is real. There is, there, there is a kingdom of darkness and it has members in it, right? And it's the fallen angels the devil and all of his uh, legions. So we got to recognize that. On the other hand, right, the other error to fall into is that the devil's everywhere. Every time, you know, every time you sneeze, every time you, you know, every time uh, your laptop doesn't work when you're trying to do a presentation, right? It doesn't mean that the devil's trying to stop the presentation, right? It could be, but but not really every time. So we have to recognize that. Um, and, and just be realistic. So, um, I, I think Pope Francis said this, he said, the devil's like a junkyard dog. Um, and if you think of a junkyard dog, often they're on chains, right? Uh So all you have to do is stay away from the circumference of the chain, right? Just stay a little further away because all the devil can do is go to the end of his chain and bark, Mm -hmm. right? When you get into trouble is when you move closer and then he can bite if you get within the radius of the chain. So, so literally just recognize there is a war. The devil's real. 
He works in ordinary ways, and those ordinary ways are often through temptation and, and trying to push in to those areas of temptation or brokenness that mm-hmm. we have. Uh, and then sometimes he works in extraordinary ways, right? Um, but that uh, we stay close to the Lord, have a prayer life, have a sacramental life. We don't have to worry about it, most of us. Just just be aware. And then scripture says, resist right. the devil and he will flee. So you just stand yeah. firm in Jesus. And after a while, the devil's going to be like, all right, fine. Right? I can't. You win this time. Right. Uh, and then it'll, you know, right. he'll try to find another way in eventually, but you just, again, stay close to Jesus. There you go. Yeah. Amen. It's simple, but it's hard. <laughs> it's hard. It's, well, and easy. the concept is simple. <laughs> right. Right. It's not complex. Right. It's, it's very easy. It's very simple in that sense. It's not complex, but it is difficult, especially when we live in a world in the 21st century, we have lots of temptations that take us away from the practice of faith and, and uh, um, you know, that's what's so beautiful about Lent is, is that it can be a time of return, right? I think that that's, mm-hmm. I hate to say it in this way because some people don't believe me, but Lent is one of my favorite liturgical seasons. Um, me too. Uh, Easter would be my favorite. Yeah, I, but because it's a way of returning, right? It's, it's remembering that simple thing that it's got to be about uh, Jesus, right? It has to be about surrendering our hearts. It has to be about turning our lives over to him and and uh, the thing that we have to remember, this is a balance here too, is that our experience as Catholics is not supposed to be an experience of a lifelong Lent, right? And that's, mm-hmm. that's the piece that we sometimes get confused, right? That in fact, the right. disciplines of Lent, the mortifications of Lent are there to prepare us for the, um, for the gifts of Easter, for the gift of resurrection and, and new life, uh, for the gift of abundant life in Christ. And so we empty ourselves so that we can be filled uh, by Jesus. So I, I think there's also, I think a lot of Catholic life now that I'm talking about it with you, it's like, it's, it's like this balance. It's the, it's sort of like the way, uh, in between extremes, right? We don't want to mm-hmm. have such a, uh, we don't want to, we don't want to have an over-attachment to mortification. Um, we don't want to have an right. over-attachment to, um, you know, like everybody always says, whenever I talk about the joy of the Lord, because this is the truth, right? That the Lord gives us joy when we live in freedom, right? We live in joy. Well, you can't get to the resurrection without Good Friday, which I totally get and right. affirm 100%. But the story doesn't end at Good Friday. And, mm-hmm. and we're not supposed to live our lives in Good Friday. In fact, John Paul II mm-hmm. said that we're an Easter people. So kind of holding yeah. that balance, just like holding that balance between, you know, how we see the devil moving or not moving at all. Everything's that kind of balance. Yeah, I love that. The Catholic both end, right? <laughs> That's right. Uh, okay, I love being Catholic just point. for that reason. Right. Yeah. Um, okay. That is a good point you bring up and something that I have wrestled with in relation to the saints. So bringing it back because I definitely agree. Like, I feel like, um, like they're like, God is found like in like the medium, right? Like not like super in the extreme mortification, but a lot of the saints did do a lot of extreme mortification and I know like, um, in particular, uh, once St. Rose of Lima has always been hard for me because I felt mm-hmm. like, um, well, one, that's probably like the only really saint like pilgrimage I've ever done. I went on a mission trip to Peru. And so we stopped at, um, the Basilica there in Lima and saw all this stuff. And the tour guide was very, very well-meaning and very knowledgeable, but, um, English was her second language. And we had a lot of people, on the trip who just like 
wanted to go to Peru and do a mission, but weren't necessarily in any way um, into their faith. You know, they were into helping, but not, but they were just baby Christians. And the tour guide was so well-meaning, but she was like, here is the nail that St. Rose of Lima would push into her skull. So she would stay up um, late so she could pray. And here is the bowl that she drank a leper's blood from. And here is the house where she saw baby Jesus. And the people I was with on that trip were just like, what? Oh, and then they're like, and here's her femur. And bye, you guys. Have a great day. And I could just tell like they were like, this is the weirdest thing I've ever done. Um, This is so strange. Why do we care that she was like putting a nail into her head? Was she okay? And I was like, I maybe not. I don't know. Like that really made me see like or made me wonder, start wrestling with why why St. Rose of Lima in her time tying a nail into her hair so she wouldn't fall asleep we kind of is part of her story. But now, mm-hmm. like if I did that, I feel like you Deacon Keith would be like, maybe you're struggling a little bit or let's talk about that. Like, I don't, mean, I would probably, probably don't do definitely that. say, yeah, I'd probably definitely say check with your spiritual director. Right. Yeah. Uh, about that. Right. For sure. I mean, I think we have to understand the saints did the things that they did in the context of their relationship with Jesus. Mm-hmm. So, so it's about, it really is about relationship and they wanted to heroically remove any obstacle between them and Jesus because there was this great and deep love. Right. Yeah. Um, I think, I think that what we're called to do is, is emulate that commitment, not necessarily emulate everything that they did. Um, Mm, And in our relationship with Christ, we will find practices of mortification that make sense for us. Right. Um, And, and I always say, um, uh, it's important for if you're really serious about your faith, it's important to have a spiritual director. It's difficult to find a spiritual director, but it's important right. to have a spiritual director. Um, mm-hmm. for, and for that reason, right, as they, as you begin to feel moved um, to practices of mortification, you want to make sure that um, that they really are in in light of and in, in with the mind of the church. And you really want to make sure that they are. Um, connected to your relationship with Jesus, and it's not yeah. it's not going in a direction that actually isn't healthy for you, right? And I think mm-hmm. that's why having a spiritual director is is wonderful, or even going to your pastor, right, and talking to your pastor about certain things. I think that's important. We're not we're not supposed to go on the spiritual journey alone, right? So we are supposed to be surrounding each other and walking with each other. And some of us have a particular role as spiritual directors, and I think that's that's important. Um, so mm-hmm. I always say emulate the commitment of the saints, right? And figure out what, how God is asking you to surrender um, your life to him in, in your context, right? Uh, it's not always imitating mm-hmm. other people because sainthood looks different. There's not one mm-hmm. way of, of being a saint. If you look at the, the lives of the saints, you right. know, some of them are markedly different, right? St. Philip Neri was a jokester. Right. He would, mm-hmm. he would, he would, he shaved half his beard once just to, you know, make a joke. He, he once pulled the beard of a cardinal because he thought he was too serious. Right. That, I mean, he had a joke book by his bed. So, and then you compare that to, you know, St. Rose of Lima. Right. And, and hers mortifications are intense. John Paul mm-hmm. II um, would often sleep, you know, on the floor without a bed, right. Without a mattress. 
right? As a way of, of mortification. So um, when we look to the lives of the saints, let's emulate their commitment and then let's pray and discern, okay, what is it that God is asking me to do in terms of mortification and surrender? Because obviously the spiritual life is about surrender. So uh, we just right. want to be balanced about that. Yeah. I don't know. Hope that makes sense. No, it does. It does. Um, do you think this is my question on that? Like we want balance, but now that we just like have more science, I don't even know if I'll include this. This is just my own personal wondering. Do you think like there were ever saints that like struggled with mental health? And that was some of like, why or, or, or just yeah. like them being saints, we like imposed that like that was Holy Spirit led. But to me, like when I see some of the mortifications, I'm like, to me that like to my modern eyes, it just sounds like self-harm. That makes me wonder, mm -hmm. like, is there a mental health aspect to it that we didn't, you know how like some people thought like, I don't know, crazy stuff. Like the woman's brain was in her uterus like back in the day. Right. Like was some of that, um, was some of that at play? What do you think? I mean, I think it's quite possible. I, at the end of the day, the real question is, do you believe that someone who has mental health issues can become a saint? And if oh, your answer is yes, boom, which, you got me. Which, yeah, which it should be, right? Yeah. If your answer is yes, then of course there would have been saints who at some point in their life, if they had mental health issues, right, were dealing with them, Right. Right. Whether that manifested yeah. in terms of their practice of mortification, I have no idea. Um, mm -hmm. Right. I, I don't know. But... Clearly, we would say that God's grace is able to um, is able to work uh, and to transform people who might even have severe mental illness, right? Right. Um, certainly, we would say that that's true if someone has developmental disability, right? Mm -hmm. um, right. That someone who has Down syndrome or whatnot, God's grace can still work. They they may not be yeah. able to cooperate in the same way, or maybe they do, right? Mm -hmm. um, but uh, God's grace works. Uh, to transform everyone who's open to it at, at all on any level. Uh, and God's mercy is there for those who might be severely um, uh, compromised in some way. So, yeah, I guess yeah. if that's true, then there must have been saints uh, that have been canonized that dealt with those issues. In fact, I bet you wouldn't have to look very hard to find a saint whose um, portfolio, in a sense, the area that you would, might go to them for prayer, would be mental health or depression or something like that. Yeah, we did an episode on saints who struggled with um, mental health or just like saints for mental health. So I think I did one who was more like an intercessor and then Lena did Saint um, Dimphna, which I'd always, I, her story was so interesting to me because I had heard she was the saint for people who struggle with mental health. So I assumed she struggled with mental health, but then Lena educated me in that it was actually everyone around her <laughs> did. Um, so I thought okay. that was so interesting. I had no idea about that. Um, yeah, and okay. That, that's, the, that's the beautiful thing about saints, right? That's the richness of the communion of saints. And you mentioned like, oh, and here's a femur, right? I mean, Catholics yeah. are, are, we are gruesome in all the right ways, I think, right? Um, we think about mm. St. Lawrence was grilled alive, and he's literally the patron saint of barbecues, right? Yeah. I mean, there, 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 there is just that connection. So there's, there's just something to that. But you have to understand holiness. You have to understand grace. You have to understand how God works through um, um, his creatures and through the, the world around us to convey grace as well, right? It's a very sacramental worldview. St. Paul's 
handkerchief, right? Healed right. people, right? Um, mm-hmm. uh, Peter's shadow healed people. So of course we would say that, you know, the relics of the saints, right? They, they contain some aspect of the reality of God's grace and their holiness. So, you know, we, we venerate. Right. Okay. Speak more on relics because Lena and I, when our conversations were very aware that like, this is on the internet. So like anyone could find it. So we do tend to, um, speak in a way like we don't try to code our language. Like if we want, if a non-Catholic finds our show where they can listen to it and understand everything. So for relics, we'll kind of like mention it, but we've never like full in gone in on what, like the practice of using relics and full disclosure. I have had like very well-meaning old church ladies, like tell me they're worried about my salvation (laughs) because I mentioned that like relics are hard for me and I don't necessarily like, get excited to see them or like really want to go like rub my whole self against them. Um, like I've, you know, I'm kind of exaggerating, but, um, I've had, like I said, well-meaning people worry about my salvation because I've just admitted like, yeah, I think relics are kind of weird and I don't fully understand it. Um, so like, is there a place for people like me? Like, should I be worried for my salvation? And like, what is the practice? Like help me well, I mean, certainly, uh, certainly we have a communion of saints. We believe the saints are still with us. We believe that they are watching over us, that they pray for us, that they intercede for us. So we, we are all about that. Um, mm-hmm. uh, and so I'm excited about asking the saints for prayer, right? For me, that's, that's beautiful. They're, they're always around. Yeah. Um, same. And I'm on board. Yeah. Right. And so the and so the relics of saints, the remains of saints that are there, whether they and they come in different classes, right? Yeah. Because why not? We're Catholics, so we're very organized this way, right? Yeah. I think third class relics are something that has been touched to a first class relic uh, of mm-hmm. a saint. A second class relic is something that they wore, right? Uh, something related to their person, and then a first class yeah. relic is, you know their hair, their bones, something like that, right? That, that has been mm-hmm. saved. Um, and so we, we would say that God's holiness and the holiness of the person are still present within their, their body, right? In one sense, right? That's why right. Um, uh, some of the saints are uncorruptible, right? right. In other words, we haven't even so talked you look about and they're them not even decaying. Yeah, we don't know how to explain that yet, but we have kind of said like, we should do an episode on Uncorruptible Saints, but we're like, I don't even know how to explain how this is possible. I mean, I mean, literally, that's basically the Lord allowing, right, um, uh, their, their, their incorruptibility is, in a sense, a sign of their holiness, right? So, right. Uh, so, so he's allowing their bodies to not, uh, not corrupt um, as a sign of their holiness, right? And a sign um, of like that, and, not like they were free from sin, because we don't believe that people besides Mary and Jesus, but it's kind of like that they didn't suffer the effects of, this is why we don't want to talk about it. It kind of has to do yeah, with sin, well, they're, right? Because, that, they, because they're united to God completely. They're united right. to God completely. So, so through God's grace, they may have been able to overcome the temptation to sin or attachment to sin, mm-hmm. right? Um, uh, and they lived lives of heroic virtue. Right. That's what we would say. Doesn't, you know, doesn't necessarily mean the saints were perfect, right? Some of the saints had a temper, Mm -hmm. right? But, um, they had this, they had this union with God. They were completely united with God. And so, uh, we, we have 
relics of saints, one, to remind us, to remind us of them. Uh, and, you know, like we would keep, uh, like we would keep a photo of our family members, right? right? We keep a photo of our family members to remind us of them, right? Uh, mm-hmm. To recall them. And so when we have a relic, it's a reminder of the person, but also because, you know, we, this is the sacramentality of things, right? That that's still a part of the person. And mm-hmm. in a sense, their, their, the presence of, of, of their holiness is, is kind of still there, right? right. Uh, because it's a part of them. And so uh, people also keep relics, right? Uh, as a way of, um, if you have a devotion to a saint, some relics um, people have used to pray with other people and there have been miraculous healing. Right. Yeah. Right? I've experienced so, that. Right. So again, right. Just we say St. Paul's handkerchief healed people. Peter's shadow healed people. God uses the mm-hmm. things of this world right, to convey his grace. And so there's a relic. It, it can be um, uh, a way in which the saint um, kind of works in a particular way. It, talk about the ministry of, of deliverance and exorcism. Mm-hmm. Um, we often find that relics have an effect. You might have to. Right. Oh, guys. Yeah. No, I don't have. Great. Anyway, so we have a sense that the, um, we, we, we have a sense of the ministry of, of exorcism and deliverance that relics really have an effect. Um, some of the demonic will recognize the presence of a saint even if they don't see the relic yet. Right? Oh, cool. So you bring, so you've, you've got St. Gemma, for example. In fact, the demons hate her. Um, uh, yeah. Sometimes she'll just have her relic in the room and they'll be like, no, not her. We don't want her. Right? Uh, That's so crazy. Yeah, and- I know someone personally who has like a story of um, praying with St. Gemma's relic specifically. So it's crazy you brought her up. We might have to have... Yeah. They have a podcast too, Matthew. We'll have to have him on the show. But yeah, that's so funny. St. Gemma, <laughs> like her relic specifically, yeah, so, I know someone who has an experience with it. And sometimes the demons will react if you, if you press a relic to the person's, you know, shoulder or whatever. So, the, and, and, uh-huh. and so, you know, we would say that that's, we keep relics primarily as a way of venerating the saint. Um, mm-hmm. And we bring those relics sometimes to our, um, to our prayers. Um, and certainly yeah. I do when I pray with people for healing, I'll bring particular relics. I have, um, I have a number of them that were gifted to me, um, for that ministry. And so I make sure that I, that I use them. So, yeah, I mean, relics are, are for me, relatively new. I say relatively cause you know, I'm 53. Uh, so probably <laughs> about 15, 20 years ago, I started to really pay attention to them and, and. Uh-huh. I realized I, I had a tremendous experience. I think it's at the shrine of Our Lady of Guadalupe in uh, Wisconsin. And uh, they have, first of all, it was in just going into that, that shrine. I, it's the second time in my life where I had an experience of Mary, like the presence of Mary. And it was oh, wow. so beautiful. Our presence was so beautiful. I started to weep. And, mm-hmm. and this friar is giving me a tour. <laughs> And I'm, I'm trying to hold it together. I'm like, all right, just finish the tour. Finish the tour, dude, yeah. because I'm about to lose it. Because uh, mm-hmm. Mary's here, right? And so he left and left for a long time. And then I was just surrounded by this, this, this presence of holiness. And that's when I realized that on, on either side of the, 
shrine, there were, I think, three or four reliquaries of different saints. So I stopped and I, I stopped and I prayed in front of each of the saints. And I remember there was one saint whose reliquary I knelt before to pray. And it was weird because I didn't know, I didn't know who the saint was. Uh Never seen a picture of him before. But it was the first time in my life that I actually had a, in that place, as I prayed in front of each relic, I actually had a sense of the personality of each of the saints. They were different and I could feel the presence of the saints. Cool. But in front of, in front of this reliquary, as I prayed, I also felt the prayers of this saint for me. And that was the first mm-hmm. time in my life I'd ever experienced anything like that. The prayers of the saint for mm-hmm. me. Uh, and I just prayed, I was there 15, 20 minutes and I was just receiving his prayers. And, and so I didn't realize until I, I looked carefully after I was finished praying, it was the, shr- uh, the a relic of St. Peregrine, who's the oh. patron saint of uh, those with cancer. Uh-huh. Um, and so it's, so it's really fascinating because I felt like he was praying for me, um, and for the ministry that God was calling me to. And it was just a beautiful, beautiful experience. And then we had just prayed for somebody on Friday before I went on this trip. Mm-hmm. Uh, we prayed with someone on Friday and it was a person who came to us and said, Hey, listen, can you pray for my friend through me? Like, mm-hmm. uh, because she's got cancer but she's not here tonight. Can you pray for her through me? Mm-hmm. And we were like, oh, I don't have no idea, but you're, let's do it. Right. Cause God's God. Uh, and she right. had cancer in, she had cancer in her body and then it spread to her bones. And so the doctors were thinking mm-hmm. she would move to hospice care. And so right. I remember going to uh, praying for her. And then I went on this trip uh, and then realizing, Oh, he's the patron saint of cancer. So that's really interesting. Mm-hmm. And when I got back from that trip next week, like Wednesday of next week, the woman who asked us to pray for her friend talked to us, that, that group that, that had prayed for her and said, listen, um, you prayed for my friend on Friday and she went in for tests on Monday and she just got the news that um, there's no more cancer in her bones. So mm. she still has cancer, but now it's not in her bones. And so now the doctors have a, a treatment plan using radiation and um, chemotherapy. Wow. Uh, and, and that woman moved into remission. Amen. And so I, I just, there, there was definitely a connection there, right? Here's St. Peregrine and now he's praying. So I always mm-hmm. bring, uh, I have a relic of St. Peregrine. So when I pray with people, I always bring that relic as well. Uh, because I've truly have, this is the one saint I truly have a devotion to. Um, because oh, yeah. I felt him, his, his prayers, his person. Uh, and so he's, he's um, very much like, someone who's in a room with me. Right. I have a devotion to St. Francis because I'm, my middle name is Francis. And so I have some connection Mm -hmm. there, but I've never had this kind of connection with uh, St. Peregrine. So, yeah. So relics are, are for me important, but um, they're not for everybody. And and many saints have gone through their life without having to deal with any relics. So, you know, I would say be open to them, but don't worry about your salvation. (laughs) Um, because, because you're not draped with relics, right? Yeah. Again, I feel like being, um, maybe it is, maybe I need to process with my spiritual director, some, some trauma from growing up in the Latino church, but I feel like that that's also like maybe a, a thing of, of like, look, like here's this holy card. Like I've literally had people be like, this holy card was touched to a holy card that touch a third class relic. So I'm going to touch you 
and you will be healed of everything. And I'm like, that's like a lot of times removed. I don't know how I feel. I don't like, thank you. I'll take it. But I don't like know if like this holy card is like doing the healing. Like, is it like the prayers or something else? So I think like, that's why, again, I tend to be like, look, guys, Let's not like, let's focus on like what the relic reminds us of, of like this person's life for Jesus. Right. <laughs> like, um, I tend to have people um, or like my mom really has a devotion to St. Cherubel and he like has holy oil that kind of came yep. out of his body. And so like when I was little, she'd be like, here, put this oil on you. It came out of a dead person's body. And I was just like, <laughs> I, like what? I don't. I don't want that. <laughs> so I think that's why yeah. I like grew up a little suspicious. But hearing stories like yours really do remind me that there's that Catholic both hand. Again, it's the balance of like there's beautiful things that come from it. And then there are some well-meaning old church ladies who maybe get a little too excited and well, kind of yeah, take it a different way. They take it to the next level, right? I think there's yeah. a difference between like veneration of the saints Mm-hmm. And veneration of relics and superstition. Right. It's the same thing with sacramentals, right? Sometimes people wear sacramentals like they're amulets against, you know, misfortune. Yes. Right? Like, and so. I have been guilty. <laughs> so, I mean, I think that's the, and, and certain cultures have certain kinds of superstition. And some right. of which gets woven into their practice of Catholicism. And I know this is not the case in every, with every person of every culture but you know latino culture has a lot with santeria that gets mixed in mm-hmm. right so you know many uh many of my latino friends will talk about when they were sick um you know their their grandmother would come and would take an egg and there would be some sort of egg ritual yeah. and you know right i mean that's not catholic and no. and in actuality that opens up doorways that you don't want opened um, right. Uh, so, but it's just part, sometimes it's just part of the culture, right? The, I yeah. Think, it's from know, the same grandma who's also, yeah. And that's the same grandma who's also like taking the whole family to church on Sunday and getting the family like to right. say the rosary with her afterwards. It's like such a weird thing. Right. right. So you just yeah. got to take, you know, you got to separate out some of that stuff. That's all. Right. But yeah, it's the Catholic both and it's a good balance. You don't want to move into superstition and, and, and you don't want to move into, oh, those are nothing, right? There's there's nothing else right. besides, it's almost like a minimalist Catholicism, which is interesting because Catholicism isn't a minimalistic religion. Like we've got like incense yeah. and we've got art and we've got, right, vestments. Yeah. Uh, we don't want to move into just a, a kind of where you jettison everything else and it's just, you know, a, a kind of the core of Catholicism, right? Without the other richness. That's there. Right. Yeah. Okay. I feel like I just want to chat with you forever because we don't always get the chance, but um, I want to be respectful of your time. (laughs) I want to be respectful of your time. So before we go, do you want to tell us about your soap making journey? (laughs) (laughs) Tell us about that. Hey, why not? I'm always like talking. Yeah. Yeah. It's fun. Um, You know, during the pandemic, during the lockdown, I travel a lot for my ministry. And so during the lockdown, uh-huh. I didn't travel at all. So Debbie, yeah. my wife and I were, you know, we were always kind of bumping into each other in the house. Like, I think at one point my wife was like, you are always here. You're like, <laughs> everywhere I turn, you're right there. 
right? And, and because yeah. we lived our life where I was gone a lot. And so uh, we thought it would be good to start doing some hobbies together. And I love, right. I'm a goofball for soap. I really am. I like all that stuff. I'll, I'll, yeah. I'll spend money on artisan soap and, you know, it's got, you know, different fragrance and, oh, look, this one's got pumice and, you know, this one's got lavender petals. Sure. Mm-hmm. Um, so we decided to buy a soap making kit and we made soap and we loved it. It was so much fun that we just started to do it more and more. And then I started to post it on Facebook and thinking my friends would quickly just grow tired of it. But then people started to ask, okay, where, where, where can we buy this soap? And like, you can't buy this soap, right? We're just, yeah. we're not selling it. We're just making it uh, and kind of giving it away. Um, and then eventually, I think two years ago, or maybe it was last year, last year, right around um, Christmas, we decided to make, or 2021, we decided to make like a hot cinnamon hot cocoa bar, where basically it looks like yeah. hot chocolate. And my wife decided to go a little extra and she started using uh, soap frosting which is just so I've seen that, but it, it, you, yeah. you, you put it on like cake frosting. Right. Yeah. Uh, and so it looked like whipped cream and what, and then we decided to sell it just like through Facebook. Like I said, if you want a bar, just email me, whatever. Uh, and that has developed now into launching a whole uh, online store that sells soap or really a, a, not even just an online store, um, a business. It's called Sweet Haven Soaps. So Sweet Haven Soap Company and our website is literally sweethavensoap.com and we sell soap and of all kinds. Um, uh, and it's been great. We launched right before Christmas in 2022, did really, really well. And now we're making all of our soaps for spring. We've, you know, we've got a bunch for sale. It's going slower now and, you know, the beginning of the year, but we're, yeah. we're um, slowly growing. So it's great. It's a lot of fun to make the soap. And our whole thing about Sweet Haven Soap is we want people to have an experience of beauty in their homes. Mm. So, yeah. uh, so it's it's not it's not a Catholic soap company. Like I don't I don't, don't want to just sell to Catholics. But what we right. wanted to do in our own way, we wanted to open people up to the beauty of God. And and one of mm-hmm. the one of those kind of the, the kind of four ways, right? The good, the true, the beautiful, the one. Right. We wanted to give people an experience of beauty. So our whole thing. The tagline is um, make your home a haven, right? We know people are busy. We know people have wild lives. And so we wanted to give them something that would enable them to step back in the, in the context of their life and just experience beauty. Even if it's for a moment, even it's while you're washing um, just to give a sense. And then we're going to expand off of that as we grow uh, to some Mm -hmm. other things we're going to do. We're we're in the process of learning how to make candles. So we'll be selling candles. And we'll be selling, oh, cool. you know, lip balm and sugar scrub and a bunch of other stuff as well. Uh, but it's artisan, it's that. artisanal, it's all handmade. Yeah, it's handmade, all natural products. Like we try to use um, the very best, you know, butters and oils. And and our mm-hmm. house smells crazy because we've got different, we've got a whole <laughs> wall of fragrances and, you know, but we love it. And and it's, it's not only past the time, but it's taught us um, a skill and a trade. Like this literally is the... The soap making is an ancient art, right? It goes back that, you know, yeah. to the beginning of the human community. So we're really, we're really grateful and we're learning a lot every time we make soap. So yeah, it's exciting. Thanks for asking about it. Yeah, that is so cool. My mom is like the ultimate old church lady. So she's in like all the Catholic Facebook, Facebook groups and everything. And she was like, 
hey, cool. There's a, a deacon who's making soap. And I was like, it's probably Deacon Keith. And she was like, what? And I was like, yeah, he makes soap. And she was like, oh my gosh, you know the deacon who makes soap? And I was like, I <laughs> probably, I don't know. What, there's probably not a lot. There may <laughs> be other deacons who make soap. I don't know them. So probably yeah. me. Well, that's so yeah, it's great. And my I wife is watching. Oh, that's awesome. My wife is a creative one. So she really comes up with the designs. But uh, yeah, I do most of the marketing, the grunt work. Yeah. Hey, that's important too. Well, I love your soap making journey. And I just love that you were finally able to connect. I feel like I want to like recruit you to be like our fact checker person. Because sometimes Lena and I will say stuff and we're like, guys, go Google it. We don't know if that's true. But I feel like I got to ask you a lot of those questions that we've kind of been like, I don't know if we should talk about that because we don't know enough. We're just fans. Well, of the I'm not an expert. You know, yeah, I'm not, a, I'm not a, a, a saint expert either, but I really appreciate you asking. That. Sure. Yeah. Okay. This is how we end every episode. Oh, and then I forgot to ask you our beginning question because um, I was just excited to talk to you. We usually ask everyone what their favorite snack is. Because Lena and I usually start talking about what we're cooking or eating to kind of get into mm. the show. And sometimes we connect it to our saint, but most of the time it's really hard because they're from other countries. So um, yeah. we just end up talking about food. My favorite snack. So not necessarily favorite food, yeah. but snack food, right? Uh, we just, it can be anything, any way you want to take it. Well, I don't know. Cause now I'm thinking about, I, so I'm on a ketogenic diet, so I can't eat the snack right. I really like. But I think it would be called, um, what are they called? Ringdings, I think, which is back in the East Coast. You can get them. They're basically like Entenmann's. They're, they're basically like um, chocolate covered cake with, um, uh, with like a cream filling. So uh, that sounds they're good. called ringdings or ding-dongs. Like they've got different, different names. Oh, I've seen ding-dongs. Yeah, yeah. That's literally I could eat four boxes of those things. But my favorite meal, which is totally different, is German, and it's it's called sauerbraten, uh, which is mm. basically pickled meat. It sounds it tastes better than it sounds. Pickled yeah. meat along with uh, along with red like pickled red cabbage and dumplings, potato dumplings. Wow, yeah, that, that's my favorite. That is a northern thing. I've well, maybe down south there's some German communities, but I've never seen anyone eat that here. <laughs> it's delicious. That's a great question, though. Thanks. Right. Now I'm hungry, though. And, you know, I Me have to too. Fast. Yeah. Oh, dang it. Yeah. <laughs> dang it. I forgot about that. I was about to say, like, I'm going to go eat a big meal. Thank you for that reminder. Um, okay. <laughs> so that, that's usually our opening question, but I skipped it on accident. How we close okay. is we always say, <laughs> we always say our blessing and burden for the week, kind of like as a way to, um, finish off on like a high point, but also ask for like prayers for each other. Um, so like some people say yeah. like high and low or rose and thorn. Um, and we always both share. So I can go first if you're not ready. Sure. Yeah, that's um, good. I'm not ready. Go ahead. Okay. Let me think. Oh, maybe I'm not ready either. Um, <laughs> okay. This is such some, okay. Sometimes they're really serious. Like we really ask for prayers and sometimes it's um, not serious at all. So probably my blessing is not serious. I started watching, um, I started watching only murders in the building because I do like some historical true crime, but they're also, it's about them starting a podcast and it just like cracks me up because 
Martin Short's character is specifically the one who's like really into the podcasting part. And he just uh-huh. like, I just feel so seen sometimes with some of the stuff that they say. <laughs> That's awesome. My um, wife loves it. Because we are, like I said, we love our podcast and feel so called to this ministry, but we are the last people who ever should have a podcast. So I just started, um, I started watching that. I'd heard good things, but now I'm like, can't wait. You know, it's like one of those things where I can't wait to put the baby down so I can watch my episode, my daily episode. Um, and then my burden um, was we had like a food poisoning moment go through our house, unfortunately, but everyone's better now. But that just um, kind of started the week off hectic. But so blessing and burden, everyone's better. But that was hard this week. So oh, wow. It was a yep. hard start to Lent, but we're here. We made it through. <laughs> oh, praise God. Um, yeah. I mean, I think so. My, so my blessing would be this podcast would be connecting with you Yay! because we've, We've only, we've only tried to do it for like five months. So yeah, uh, a long time, you know, <laughs> it finally happened and I'm super grateful. And this yeah, has been a great start to, to my day. So that's been a blessing. Yeah. I think for me, a burden would be, you know, I'm always, my daughter is, she's 12 and, you know, uh, she's in sixth grade. That's always a challenging mm-hmm. time. And so just yeah. prayers for her, right. As she has, definitely has to navigate sixth grade, I think would be really, really uh, really, really helpful and needed. So yeah, those two things. Definitely. Prayers for your daughter for sure. And then when it's my turn to have a sixth grader, I'm going to be asking you what to do. Absolutely. I already worry sure. about that. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's uh, intense. Okay. Definitely prayers um, for Sienna, right? Yes. Sienna is her name. That's, yep. Okay. Prayers for Sienna, everyone listening. Um, and I'm excited we got to talk to you and Keith. We're going to have to, you're going to have to be like a quarterly guest at least. Cause this was so much fun. I'm happy to well, do next that. Time yeah, can for talk. Sure. yeah, that'd be great. She doesn't really know me that much. So it, it would be, it'd be really <laughs> interesting for sure. That'd be awesome. Okay. I'll send you a link when it's up and you can okay. hear and share and your friends can hear you on the show. But otherwise, thank you so much. <laughs> Yeah, you're so welcome. Thanks for listening to this episode of Snacking with the Saints. Snacking with the Saints is a member of the Spoke Street Catholic Podcast Network. If you enjoyed today's episode, please remember to give us a five-star rating or leave us a review. You can also subscribe to be alerted of when we drop our newest episodes. You can find us on Instagram at snacking.saints.pod. Come on over, tell us your blessing and burden for the week. Maybe we'll share it on air. And please remember to keep us in your prayers. We're definitely praying for all of you.